clearly Asians do care about climate change. I mean, all four of us do. I mean- Hello, fellow peacemakers. Welcome to Make Peace Not Be, a fun and informative podcast about making peace with yourself and the world. I'm your host, Lily, and we'll explore everything from climate change to plant-based to self-development and more. Follow me on my YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter at MakePeaceNotBeef for episode highlights, bonus content, and giveaways. All right, let's start the episode. Well, hello, fellow peacemakers. Welcome to Make Peace Not Beef. So as we all know, climate change is the single biggest existential barrier of our times. And yet I rarely see Asians at the forefront of the climate movement. And climate change doesn't seem to be a topic that interests many Asian people. Hmm, why is that? Well, to answer this question, today I have here with me an all-Asian intergenerational panel on Make Peace Not Beef to discuss climate change as an issue that pertains to Asians and Asian Americans. And we're going to discuss whether or not we think enough Asians care about climate change and how we can better address and tackle this issue within our community. So before I introduce my wonderful panel today, I'd like to first talk about what inspired me to create this episode. So as you all know, I'm on Clubhouse a lot. (laughs) So a month ago, I was actually invited to be a panelist for uh, this Clubhouse discussion on convenience culture among immigrant families. And I was part of a panel of environmentalists that consisted of women of color. And we talked about how growing up, our parents equated convenience culture with making it and how most of us aren't raised with sustainable practices because, you know, our parents didn't have that same level of environmental consciousness that we now have. So that conversation really inspired me to dig deeper into my background as a Chinese Canadian and examine what are some of the environmental issues that specifically pertain to my culture and my background as an Asian Canadian or Asian American, same difference. Um, The first issue that popped to my mind is the obscene amount of plastic pollution generated by the bubble tea business. And we're gonna get into that because it's a big part of Asian culture, right? I'm sure we all know many Asians and non-Asians who love drinking bubble tea, and yet they aren't always mindful of just how much plastic straws and end up in landfill because because of the bubble tea business so i was curious and i did some research and (laughs) you're gonna like this or hate it according to ministry of economic affairs more than 1.5 billion cups of bubble tea are sold in taiwan alone each year can you imagine the mountain of plastic trash generated from this it would probably pile up to be the size of the himalayas and that's just taiwan i'm too scared to picture bubble tea consumption on a global scale so Plastic pollution is a huge problem that we must address, and it becomes especially problematic when all this plastic ends up in our oceans and waterways and destroys our marine system, endangers wildlife on land, and ultimately us humans. Anyway, so recognizing that problem made me think, how can we do better within the Asian community to help fight against climate change and plastic pollution? Now, on the flip side, as a climate activist who is Asian, I have to say, I don't see a lot of Asians in the climate movement, right? When I first started climate activism, I don't really pay attention to gender and racial diversity because I was like super laser focused on solving the problem. But after attending all these climate events and summits and clubhouse discussions, a lot of times I can't help but notice that I am the only Asian person in the room. And This concerns me because Asians make up a huge percentage of the planet's population, right? Like 
I heard the statistic that every one in six people is Chinese or something. And um, yeah, and yet we're underrepresented in this fight. So either perhaps due to lack of awareness or climate education, um, but we need to address this imbalance uh, because we're racing against a ticking time bomb and we need to raise climate awareness among the Asian community and get more people involved in climate action. And today we're gonna discuss exactly how to mobilize the Asian diaspora in the fight against climate change. Anyway, that was a super long intro. Thank you for being patient with me. Now, finally, I'd like to introduce my lovely panel today. I'd like to give an introduction to my very good friend and my steady ally in the climate space, Rob Chan from San Francisco, who I had the pleasure of meeting through Clubhouse. And Rob and I quickly became friends. And since then, we've kept in close contact to support one another in our climate journey. So Rob, welcome to the show. Please introduce yourself. Hi, everyone. I'm Rob. Uh, I was born in Hong Kong. I grew up in Sydney. Uh, two years ago, I moved to San Francisco. And this year, uh, we had a baby boy. And um, I've become very activated in, thank you. I've been very activated in my climate journey in a large part because of my journey in becoming a parent. Um, we're very fortunate that our Gen Alpha has joined our family. He's oh, healthy and, <laughs> and he'll be Gen on the Gen Alpha, but I can't keep up. <laughs> and, my, and, and my wife and I, we're millennials, we're Gen Ys. And I think it's important for us to model the behaviors we want to, to see in this world. So that's why we're actively decarbonizing our lifestyle, our household, trying to influence our business, um, our in industry and drive systemic change with equity. Um, so for my day job, I work in a tech startup, uh, you know, that's kind of San Francisco at the intersection of payments and online commerce and identity. I think it's fascinating what we're building. Uh, and I'm trying to align my job and my career and work. And I think there's a difference between those two and we can go into that uh, and align that to my passions. And I'm trying to find ways to help rewire our society more thoughtfully to my values. Uh, anyway, back to you, Lily. Love it, love it. Love your passion, love your Australian accent. <laughs> I was very surprised, you know, cause I was, that was not the accent I was picturing when you first unmuted your mic on Clubhouse, but <laughs> love it. Next, I'd like to introduce a talented Gen Z sustainability entrepreneur, Toby Joe from Toronto. Welcome Toby. Would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Yes. <laughs> Hi everyone. My name is Toby and I'm super excited to be here. I am a recent university graduate from Toronto, Canada, which makes me a 22 year old Gen Zer. <laughs> I'm also the founder of a startup called Riti. Uh, we all know how much plastic waste is produced by this delicious Taiwanese beverage we call bubble tea, which is why I started this sustainable bubble tea kit company with a mission to provide affordable ways to make and drink bubble tea. And I started this in at the end of my second year. Um, so this includes reusable bubble tea cups and DIY bubble tea kits. And I am transitioning from being a full-time student to being a full-time entrepreneur. That is freaking awesome, Toby. Oh my gosh. See, I'm Thank telling you. all the young people, they're saving the world. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, super happy and lucky to have you on the show and can't wait to learn about your climate perspective and your entrepreneurial journey. And last but not least, I want to give a very warm welcome to uh, Mr. or should I say Lord, <laughs> Bill Tom from, Bo <laughs> from Boston. Bill, please introduce yourself. <laughs> Yeah, thanks for having me on board, Lily, and uh, thanks, Rob, for introducing me to Lily. So uh, I think we're somehow related, Lily, back in the old country, so I think that, that we'll have to trace that somehow. But yeah, greetings from Boston. Uh, I, I, To be very precise, I was born in the very last year of the baby boom generation, so <laughs> you guys can go figure that out. Like Rob, I was 
I was uh, born in Hong Kong, fortunate to have lived in a bunch of places around the world, father of two college-age kids uh, here in the States right now. And uh, yeah, I had a, a long career in the athletic apparel and footwear industry, and now a consultant to uh, American and European brands with the international go-to-market uh, and expansion strategy. So happy to be here and uh, really appreciate being uh, invited. Oh, thanks so much, Bill. So yeah, like Bill mentioned, the interesting thing is that Rob actually introduced me to Bill and Rob said, I think Bill would make a really good panelist for your podcast. So Rob actually sent me Bill's Instagram handle and I stalked Bill and there were only two photos. So I was like, does Bill even use Instagram? And Rob was like, yeah, he definitely does. So I messaged Bill and um, I'm glad he agreed to be on my podcast. And we actually had a quick one-on-one catch up and Bill is the funniest person on the planet. And he does it like while keeping a straight face. (laughs) He is just surprisingly hilarious and and you're going to learn about him. And I, Lily Tong, your host, aka Dopest Chick on the Planet, that's my new title, will be the moderator of today's panel. I am a climate activist, multifaceted creative software engineer, freelance journalist, incoming master of public policy student at Harvard Kennedy School, most importantly, concerned human about our planet. I I guess it's funny because the first time I asked Bill if he was a baby boomer, he got really offended. He's like, how dare you? (laughs) No, Bill, no. Not at all. Not at all. Very proud of it. You're, you're, You're proud. You're a proud boomer. Because you were like, I am offended. Like, that is a rumor. I am not a baby boomer. <laughs> um, you, you wouldn't be the first person from Clubhouse that referred to me as the, as the token baby boomer in the room. So, Well, how do you feel about being the token baby boomer today? Uh, very proud. No issue at all. Uh, <laughs> honored, re- re- really. I, I think this, this is great. Uh, you know, I, I do find myself very often in the Clubhouse chats where I maybe, and the senior statesman and uh, others have, you know, uh, referred to me as Uncle Bill. So that's fine as well. Oh, so, should no we call worries. you Uncle Bill today? <laughs> no, 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 no. You're not that old. <laughs> yeah. So today we've got an interesting combination, right? So Toby is obviously a Gen Zer. I am a millennial. Rob is a millennial and a father and a new father to a two-month-old baby boy. And Bill is a baby boomer and a father to two grown kids. So we have representation from across the generational cohorts. And by the way, this podcast is starting to sound like another podcast. (laughs) (laughs) But pop quiz for you all. First question. What is the derivative of e e to the x? What? (laughs) What do we know? I have no idea. Not sure. You guys don't know what is a derivative to e to the x? I don't even understand the question. Is that calculus? Yes, it's calculus. Like you, I never took calculus. Okay, none of these people are actually Asian, guys. They just yeah, yeah. I feel like this is an Asianness test, and we've all failed. You've all failed. (laughs) And it's a trick question. The derivative of e to the x is e to the x. Anyway, wouldn't know. Okay, don't worry. Today, we're not going to be doing a a math exam. So uh, (laughs) next question will be related to climate change. Okay, so I guess they all failed the first question. Uh, I'm actually not sure if they're actually Asian, but whatever, since they're already here, (laughs) we're going to proceed with the panel. (laughs) Am I the only one who took calculus? Did you guys, did any of you take calculus? A freshman year in college. That was 1982, Lily. So I think that was probably, yeah. Right, it's like 40 years ago. But Toby, Toby, you're a recent graduate. How do you not know this? I never took calculus. I didn't need it. I took advanced functions. Okay, but you should know this, right? Like derivative. Have you ever learned about derivatives? No. No. (laughs) 
I am very surprised right now at the generational gap here. Like, okay, Rob, you're from my generation. You took calculus. Um, yeah, probably. But there was a lot of trauma. You know, you're trying to repress all that high school memory with the Blink-182 songs. And that's kind of what I remember. Oh, dear. <laughs> oh, it was dear. optional. <laughs> okay, and none of them took it. Okay, so, uh, so you guys are not good at math. No, so is it a myth? Is it a myth that Asians are good at math? Would you say it's a myth? Uh, yeah. Yes, ab- absolutely. I, I, I was I was a brilliant, brilliant B minus student all throughout <laughs> high school and college. So, but I was brilliant at it. Love that. <laughs> oh my gosh, Bill, you kill me. Okay, I got. <laughs> okay, we haven't even started the discussion yet. Okay, so diving into our first topic of discussion today, part one: understanding climate change. So, my first question for everyone on the panel is. First of all, do you believe in climate change? And what do you think is causing it if you believe in it? Let's, let's start with, uh, okay, so why don't we start with Toby first, the Gen Zer? <laughs> I, of course, believe in climate change. Um, what I think is causing it, I think really it's lack of awareness and education. And because of that, people don't really care. Um, upbringing, I think there's a lot of political reasons why that I'm not too familiar with but that's what i think <laughs> okay okay one mode for yes what about you rob uh, i do believe uh, in climate change and i think uh, humans in the way that we've structured our societies around the world um, to sort of exploit many things but one of which is the planet and its resources uh, is creating a level of greenhouse gases into the world that is creating uh, global warming and then cascading effects into weather events that we're now seeing happening uh, all over the world. So I do think climate change is real. And I do think uh, we are the cause of it, amongst other things, but we are predominantly the cause of it. Right. And our seasoned global sales leader? Yeah, I, 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 the uh, the evidence is irrefutable from uh, when we measure temperature over the last few decades to the melting of glaciers and polar ice caps at Antarctica, Antarctica. Uh, you know, uh, Rob's uh, former home country, you know, the, the bleaching of the Great Barrier Reef to the decimation of the Brazilian rainforest, uh, Indonesia, uh, Brazil, wherever it may be. Uh, and I think the reason why it is certainly uh, so disputed is, I think, simply because of uh, politics. Uh, mainly, I can only speak from a United States standpoint. You know, if one political leader from one party says it happens and it's just natural, then the other side says it de- de- denies that it happens. And I think this is what's uh, terribly sad. Bill, are you sure you were a B minus student? Yes, absolutely. I, I'll get my transcript somewhere. So, uh, <laughs> you just gave me your PhD thesis. <laughs> what makes Bill brilliant is he takes the answer from the A plus student and then he gets it. <laughs> and he still gets a B minus. So what went wrong there, Bill? <laughs> brilliant. <laughs> anyway, that, that, that's excellent. I regurgitate, I, I regurgitate very well. Well, uh, that, that, was, that was brilliant. You have good memory and uh, retention. <laughs> Amazing. So yeah, I agree with you. Climate change is definitely real. And I would say 100% caused by humans. I mean, we can just look at the trajectory of greenhouse gas emissions, right? Like pre-industrial times, there was literally the, the level of uh, CO2 concentration remained roughly constant in the atmosphere. And then boom, you know, with the industrial revolution, especially after 1980s, everything just accelerated. So the evidence is clear. Now on a scale of one to 10, uh, you know, one being utterly clueless and 10 being extremely informed. How would you rate your understanding of climate change? Let's go with the same order. I would say maybe like a 
six or a seven, honestly. I would say I'm more informed than the average Gen Zer, but I don't believe I know enough and I want to learn more. Um, I sort of started this whole entrepreneur journey almost by accident. Um, I didn't intend to start a business um, and be in this space. So I'm really learning as I go. And by having conversations with people like you guys. <laughs> nice. Awesome. Well, that, that's not too bad. Six and seven is above average. That's great. And what about you, Rob? I hope so. <laughs> um, I, I, I love that answer. And I, I think, honestly, I'll, I'll put myself as a six. Um, just because I think as I begin to understand it, there's so many different lanes that people mm -hmm. occupy in climate change movements that you can be a deep expert in your lane around polymer and plastics and recycling and circularity, but you have no idea that there's so much progress happening in the ESG space. And so like really trying to understand deeply and breadth wise is very hard and I'll score myself a five. I don't think a five understands what ESG stands for. <laughs> I think I would be more, I changed my answer. I think I would be more of a five now. Oh God. <laughs> Wait, no, wait till Bill's answer. We're, we're all going to become a two after his answer. <laughs> no. If those two are at a five, then you know, my, my, my number that I had in my head has just dropped several degrees. So you know, listen, I, I, no, it's, uh, I, I'll be very frank with you. I, I, then I would put it 2.5, two and a half. <laughs> Is this a race to the bottom? <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, if it's... Yeah, listen, I, uh, yeah, I'll just put it at 2.5. But you just gave a whole argument on like like the destruction of the Great Barrier Reef. <laughs> I don't think you're a yeah, yeah, but uh, Yeah, but I can't, yeah, but that's, you know, I, I don't know deeply enough about it. Do I read the headlines? Do I read the articles? Do I watch the news? Am I concerned about it? Absolutely. And I, at the forefront, being an environmental warrior about uh, climate change and this, no, I, I have not been. So I've been on the sidelines. So I, I'm aware, but I'm on the sidelines. So. Wow, you're an extremely enlightened individual <laughs> who's on the sidelines. <laughs> Truth be told. So nice. And guys I think there's just always so much information that I don't think we can ever feel like we're an expert or extremely informed. So like, I think we'll always feel like we don't know enough. Yes. I think this is an always learning journey, right? Because as I uncover a topic, uh, you know, there's another lens to look at it, you know, climate equity and how do we actually, you know, make sure um, different nations that haven't uh, accessed that economic prosperity that other nations have had, how do we balance that out? And that is another sort of chapter in my journey in this and so, I, you know, I proudly say five. I'm continually learning. And, and Bill, I think you're underrating yourself. <laughs> you, you know, I, I introduced Rob to a, 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 my, one of my dearest friends, Lisa Little, and she, she lives in the Bay Area as well. And she works for Proterra, uh, and it's a company that manufactures uh, electric transmissions for buses, school buses and, and, and transportation buses. So. I, and, and she's out, I mean, she's like at an eight, nine, because she's, she's dedicated her life to about the environment. She's working for a company that, that, that's hoping uh, going to transform uh, transportation. She's out there at marches and protests and, and, and she's a real activist. So if I look at her and if I, if I call her an eight or a nine, then I'm like at the other end of the spectrum, like a three. So, you know, I, I look at people like that, that are really at the forefront.
Right. You, you, you always benchmark as a global sales leader. That's why. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bill is very humble. He's definitely not a 2.5. If he's a 2.5, I'm probably like a two. <laughs> so. Oh, I'd be a one then. I'm a newbie. <laughs> We're all negative. <laughs> you know what? This is a race to decarbonize and, and bring it down. So no, I, I would is, say this is a race. This is called no. This is called being Asian. Like you're better. Ah, no, you're better. Right. No, you know. More. Oh yes, <laughs> we're being we're very we're being very tight cut you. No, I listen. No, when Rob sent me the, the DM about this event, and then you sent me the DM, I'm like, I'm like, I'm like the last person you want to be talking to about this. But anyway, of course, I'm not anti uh, climate change. Obviously, I'm not that kind of a nutter. But you know, it's just for me, I've, I've been on the side. Aware? Absolutely. Read about it? Yes. Do I go get, uh, you know, Harvard and MIT research papers on the subject and deep dive into it? No, no, I don't. I, I read what's in the headlines and, and in the popular press. And it's, you know, certainly this has been going on. I think when I saw uh, the Al Gore production, uh, Inconvenient Truth, and that came out, what, uh, early 2004, 2000 and, uh, I forget I what year that came out. 2007 was it that time okay yeah so it was like oh wow yeah okay there you go and, and i think some of it was because oh here was the, the democrat al gore who came out and produced this film and, and it's like oh well if a democrat said this then if you're a republican that must be bullshit on the other side so i am you know I, and like i said before I, I think that's why some people are are having a hard time uh, accepting the truth and uh, especially when it comes out of the words of politicians versus scientists Got it. And I guess I wanted to ask you guys, um, first of all, when and where did you first learn about climate change and how serious do you think it is? I think Bill kind of answered it. Bill, do you want to comment on how serious you think it is right now? No, I think it's very serious. And I, and I, I didn't read the report yesterday from uh, the U.S. was it the United Nations, it's I believe, that so just said, you know, it's just like we're just like it's like it's like it's like we're like beyond beyond. It's like if we didn't if we didn't do produce any more carbon emissions, we didn't do. It's like already beyond. But I, I think no. And I remember watching a, a BBC uh, a presentation on this a couple of years ago. Who who's that uh, that wonderful uh, documentary guy on on the nature? Uh, oh, David Attenborough. Yeah, I mean, and and, and certainly you, you watch somebody like them who's been around the world for decades. And uh, he produced that documentary and just really uh, hit home about that. So, so you know, it, it, these are scientists, you know, and, and these are people that we need to listen to. And, uh, so, so no, I, I've been well aware of this, certainly that probably at least 20, 20, 20 years or so going back. And Rob? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, growing up in Sydney, there's always bushfires uh, in California called wildfires, but it's, it's the same thing, right? It's where uh, these weather events threaten life and um and land. So I always kind of knew it was always in the backdrop. But I, I, I would say I really didn't dive into the details until uh, 2019, when I was standing on the beaches of Sydney and just watching like the biggest bushfire in the eastern seaboard of Australia. And then coming to California, coming back to California the, the following year, it was again, the biggest brush fire in California history. And so I was like, okay, yeah, it's pretty serious and the time to act and um, commit actions is now. And I think it is a serious issue. And the thing that I, I do worry about is when the IPCC report came out, two of my friends tagged me in headlines that featured uh, fire 
with a kangaroo hopping on it, like hopping around it. And I do think the doom and gloom message is potentially part of an eco-anxiety issue where we don't feel like we have the control to impact how we act and the actions that we can take. And so I do think it's serious. I think it is a crisis, but I also think that um, we need to figure out ways to message it so that people can engage with it. Absolutely. Toby? Um, for me, I don't re exactly remember when I first learned about climate change, but I believe it was in elementary school when we watched the documentary, The Inconvenient Truth by Al Gore in my grade seven science class. And we were all just sitting in the class watching it. And I think I was one of the students that got really impacted by it. Um, so that's when I first learned about it. And I think it's really serious. Um, even the past year or two, we've seen so many natural disasters and it's just getting worse. So I think right. it's very serious. Absolutely. It is very serious. And I'm just curious, like, is, is climate change a topic you frequently discuss with your family and friends? We, anyone can answer. No. 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 Rob? Uh, I try to, and, and yes, but then it's, it, it, it really ruins the party mood a little bit. Mm. <laughs> I would say yes, but not nearly enough. Less of actual climate change. It's usually um, me preaching to my friends about how they should bring reusable items and um, how to be more eco-friendly. So less of the actual climate change and just me giving them small tips here and there, like, oh, that doesn't go in the recycling, easy things like that. Right. Yeah. So it, it seems like it's not a household topic for most of us. And now we kind of established that this is not really a topic among most Asian families. Let's now discuss, you know, acting on climate change and what we can do about it. So the first question I have for all of you is, what do you think is the most effective individual action that you can take to combat climate change? And we're going to start with Bill first. Um, I need to buy a new car. So the debate in the family is, do we get an electric car or a petrol or a gasoline car? So that, that's being discussed right now. Yeah, that's being uh, researched, the cost benefit, uh, the whole logistics of electric, you know, I don't have an indoor garage, and it's all that type of stuff that we're trying to figure out right now. So but yeah, do we recycle in the house? Yeah, of course we do. We got two trash cans doing this, you know, the kids recycle their clothes, we just don't dump it in the trash can. But you know, I, I think that, um, you know, we don't do nearly enough. Uh, but so I no, so have we discussed what we can do to do better? Yeah, yes, we have discussed that. But uh, it's probably not, it's just scratching the surface, I think. And, and, I'll, and I'm happy to admit that, so. So wait, let me reiterate that. So what do you think is the most effective individual action? Then? Yeah, I mean, for us in the media, it's like, should, should we, you know, so, so help uh, reduce CO2 emissions and not get a, a gasoline petrol car, mm. should we get an electric car? So that's our small little part of, uh, of helping reduce uh, CO2. So I think that's uh, right. something that's on the table to be considered right now. That's huge. Oh my gosh. I yeah, really but isn't the discussion that you know, the discussion isn't like, oh, let, let's get bicycles or let's walk everywhere. <laughs> I mean, that that that's just sorry. It's just uh, you know, we're where we live just on the edge of Boston. Um, yes, we have public trans here, but I've got lazy kids and I'm lazy myself. So it's you know, it's it's should we take more public trans? Absolutely. Rob is so, laughing. Rob, when I lived laughing. in Hong Kong, I took public transportation. We always took the MTR and the ding ding and all those things. So <laughs> That's funny. I live in, yeah, go for it, Rob. 
No, public transportation is a big part of that, right? Like grand, ground yeah. transportation and air transportation contributes yeah. a large part of it. And not having yeah. equitable access to ways you move to a city, to your job, to, to places of worship, to places of living. Um, I think that matters a lot. And it means that individuals have to figure out should they buy a car or secondhand car, or what type of car and range anxiety. And I think, I think all that stuff is so complicated and you have to do so much research. And it's just, it, it, it's, it's kind of taxing and kind of tiring, especially, you know, in your generation, Bill, dare I say, the Ford Mustang yeah. is like the must-have. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Amongst other things, a, a Porsche or a Ferrari or something like that, a, a, absolutely. But, uh, you know, my, my kids are like, get a Tesla, get a Tesla. I was like, well, okay, would you like to finish college or do you want me to get a Tesla? You know, so there's, you know, there, 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 there's a cost uh, involved here. Yeah, I can get a Tesla, but then you're not going to graduate from college. So wait, take your pick. And then, but but yeah. your kids want you to get a Tesla. Why is that? They know. They think it's well, yeah, yeah, because they think it's really cool. Number one, and then and it's good for the environment. Uh, yeah, so I, I, absolutely. So so they 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 bought into that. And uh, obviously, you don't need to buy spend that much money to get an electric car. So. Interesting. So interesting that you guys touched, touched on, you know, the importance of vehicle ownership, because well, Toby yeah. and I, we live in Toronto, but I, I live in like downtown Toronto. So I take the public transit where I go. The only time I'm in a car yeah. is when I'm going back, going back to China. My parents always drive. But what about you, Toby? Um, I actually live on in the suburbs Markham, of Toronto. Yeah. So Markham, it's like Chinatown, if you guys don't know. And it's not that um, actually taking public transportation is not convenient at all. Um, especially since everything's so spaced out. So you sort of do have to drive. But in terms of the most effective individual action, I would say it all starts by consuming less, less of everything. A lot of people who don't know where to start, I normally say, you know, start using less disposable items and swap them out for reusables, such as reusable bottles, cups, cutlery, buying foods in bulk, um, stuff like that, or consuming less meat. Mm -hmm. uh, just simple things like that, I think, is very effective because once you start, um, it's not as intimidating anymore and you work towards incorporating more sustainable actions into your life. Absolutely. And like you said, once you form a habit, then it becomes easy. Mm -hmm. But the hard part is how do you get people to form that habit in the first place? Right? Yeah. Plastic makes everything so convenient. And you as an entrepreneur, you know this, right? How hard yeah. is it to get people to bring their own reusable cups? Um, it was not really a thing when I first started but I think it's maybe because you know um, I guess as a Gen Zer, we're on social media it became sort of um, I would say cool to bring your own reusable cups and some places like Cha Time offered a discount if you brought your own cup so it wasn't really hard influencing people to bring their own reusable cups but other things in general like reusable cutlery and straws is a little harder because they forget to bring it or they didn't wash it. And it's just not great unless you plan to bring everything. It's not good for spontaneous trips, which bubble tea usually is. <laughs> yep. Yep. Rob, you want to comment on that? <laughs> oh, no, 100%. Like, I think the spontaneity, sort of the um, convenience culture, like the, mm -hmm. you know, you just rock up, you, you, you go where the flow goes. I think that mm -hmm. is like that type of mentality is is the world that we've lived in in the last 30 years last year we you know were forced to change a lot of those habits 
you know, we had to schedule to get an appointment to get a haircut and all that sort of stuff. So I think there are a lot of sort of rehabit forming choices that we've been forced to um, think through. Um, I have a reusable cup uh, to get my coffee every morning. Um, but to answer the question around bubble tea, uh, I also use a reusable cup for, for my <laughs> local bubble tea joint. Um, and I do think the most effective individual action that you can take to combat climate change, and I'll open the door here a little bit, is um, sort of thinking uh, what we consume, specifically the food that we put in our body. I think there's a lot of carbon involved in the, I know you want me to say it, Lily, the animal agriculture system. <laughs> and that is such a third rail topic, especially in the um, sort of Asian-ness experience, because it's hard to eat vegetarian when you're at Yamcha and, and, and all that sort of stuff. So I do think there's a lot in the, um, in the cultural exper experience that uh, makes it hard to rethink some of those habits and choices. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I have something to add. So especially um, still living with parents, it's very hard to change what they cook. Um, I've tried to influence my parents a lot to cook less meat, but they have this thought that you can't have enough protein or nutrition if you don't eat meat. Mm -hmm. And I think, think that's very Asian culture. And it's funny because I study nutrition and they don't, they, they still don't, you know, believe me, even though this is my, <laughs> this is what I'm studying. So it's frustrating, but slowly, you know, slowly we'll get there. <laughs> So you study nutrition. So can you tell us from a nutritional standpoint, is eating meat really necessary? It's not. There we um, go. There we go really everybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can get a way healthier nutritional <laughs> diet without meat and you can be more sustainable while you're at it. There we go. So there's there's really no argument for eating meat. And, and Bill, you're just like quietly nodding. <laughs> Every Sunday my wife and I go meatless mm. one day a week. Wow. Wow. You are probably, Bill is way more sustainable than he, he tells us. Like <laughs> one day a week. And you that's go, more and than week. enough. That's that more than enough. You're not a, Bill, you're not a 2.5. You're just humble. You're being Asian. You're not a 2.5 yeah. on that scale. We need, to, we need to recalibrate it. That is really amazing. You're doing a lot more than the average American who's probably not even aware of the the link between animal agriculture. I, I like how all three of you are at least aware that eating meat contributes climate change. Do you think the average Asian family knows this? No, not at all. Uh, but 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 truth be told, uh, you know, uh, the the reason Lily that my wife and I do that is more for health reasons than because we're somehow saving the planet. And that's fair. That's fair. See, yeah. now that I know this, I know how to next time I, when I speak to the older generation, maybe I should focus more on health than environment right rob what yeah. do you think marketing yeah. messaging well, there's a, there's definitely a, a lot of emphasis on health i think uh, especially as as we age and that centers it more to an individual and how we go through the world than sort of a, an amorphous you know the planetary in the future and i think centering it on that specific effort um i think will you know just make it relatable and uh, and for the health benefits that you derive bill i think that is you know, it's good for you. It's good for it's good for your family. It's good for your body. It's good for your health uh, and your mind, and and every step that we can take. And the second order effects, if it saves the planet, hey, it just makes you feel good too. 
That's right. Yeah, well, I mean, we don't, we don't, we don't resort to eating Vegemite in our house, but you know, we, we, we try to do what we can. <laughs> oh, burn! <laughs> cheering you on, mate. I was cheering you on, oh, but uh... <laughs> Phil, coming at it hard. <laughs> Rob, you didn't um, see that coming, did you? I did not. I give, I give, I, I, I give him crap on Vegemite all the time. Um, you know, I, 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 I would also say this, you know, how you know, I think Rob touched upon this, you know, certainly we live in such in such a disposable consumer product culture, uh, not just in the United States, but in so many other places around the world, especially in, in developed countries. And, you know, coming from the apparel industry, it, it, I mean, the apparel and the footwear industry is it, just horrible. It really is from the amount of water that that's required to make a T-shirt. I'm talking from the cotton fields all the way into your store and delivered to you. How footwear is manufactured? I mean, I'm not even going to talk about leather and fur uh, business. That's that's way out there. Mm -hmm. um, but but I think that there. I mean, some of the larger companies have given some light towards being in, environmental and recycling, uh, but not enough. Uh, I, I think a, a brand like Uniqlo out of Japan has probably probably been the, the largest multinational company that's sort of been at the forefront of this, but it's not like 100% of all their products are, you know, uh, carbon neutral and green friendly. Uh, I, I read the other day, I think Adidas is looking to manufacture a line of footwear that's uh, completely devoid of using water. Uh, and everything recycled. So is this coming? Yeah, yeah, I think it is coming. It is not cheap to do because it's, oh, well, you're recycling. Well, it's still the manufacturing process. It's still a little bit more complicated. But, but you know, it's kind of ironic because I, I, I say this, but I would assume that the four of us and probably everybody that we know, if we don't buy another stitch of clothing for the next year, I'm talking shoes, socks, underwear, pants, shorts, underwear, shirts, jackets, sweater, hat, sunglasses, a, a year from now, we'll be just fine. Yes. You'll be just fine. Uh, and you're, actually, you'll be better than fine. Your bank account will thank you for it, for the <laughs> amount of money that you So it's, it's the difference between needs and wants. Now, I've got a closet full of clothes, but you know, I, I would say about three, four years ago, it's like I, I, the last thing I, I like to do is to buy shit I, I just don't like to buy I, I this this is probably six years old this polo shirt it, it's just fine uh you know so you know I'm, I'm not trying to be on my high horse or anything like that but but i'm just saying that you know we all have too much stuff um and, and, I, and that's why i think it's good that there's a lot of these uh, stores that are opening up uh, secondhand stores there's one two blocks from here it's called buffalo exchange i mean there's so many of these that mm -hmm. that, that you can bring in and you can get cash for your, cash for your clothes and uh they resell it and you've got cash in your in your pocket as opposed to just taking it throwing away but uh, obviously we've got goodwills and things like that as well but there's just too much stuff that's being mm. produced and we all buy way more than we need. I mean, Rob's got a baby. So, he, you know, he's exempt for his child. He needs to get all this stuff for his baby because the baby's growing. Right. But, you know, for, for us adults, you know, it's, oh, I, I want to have, I need that new shirt. You don't need that new shirt. You don't need that new pocketbook, you know, so it's understanding the difference between needs mm. and wants. And yeah. uh, I think it gets, uh, you know, it would, it would help the environment and it would help your personal finances as well. Yeah. That would, that's actually pretty hard when you, we live in a culture where fast fashion 
is in, especially, I guess, for Gen Zers. Um, there's so many stores like Shein. I don't know if you heard, but it's just they have thousands and thousands of new clothing items for like $5 from China. And it's so popular. So people are buying new things every week. Primark, H&M, Zara, what yeah. used to be Forever 21. You know, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's all fast fashion and it's all yeah. disposable fashion. You'll wear it for a season. You wash it once or twice. If it doesn't uh, take its shape very well, and then you decide to throw it away because it costs you five bucks, right? So Yeah. And also greenwashing is a big issue, uh, especially with um, these fashion companies too, because there's more awareness in the younger um, community. They like to make things more yeah. uh, sustainable when it actually isn't. Like H&M, when they came out of came out with the sustainable line when it actually wasn't so it's very misleading yeah a lot of it's just pretend pretend marketing yeah I th- I mean, yeah i think i think it's confusing um uh, sorry lily guy no, go for it rob uh no, i was just saying um i think the, the greenwashing is, is just confusing for the individual right because i think we all want to make um thoughtful choices and the right ones but you know the less ability for us we don't have copious amount of time researching the carbon supply chain of specific companies for a specific stock keeping unit of clothing right and we don't have that ability so we need to defer to trust and trusting in certifications and stuff like that and when we don't when we don't have that we we end up being confused and it just you know makes us feel a little bit shameful for some of the things that we've been taught to do and I, I think it's that, like that point around needs versus wants and delineating what we want versus what we need. I think that's a really important one. We need to teach folks on, you know, what do you really need to um, acquire and purchase? And, and for me, I think the, the point around secondhand, um, the, when I talk about it in, in our household, um, it's always around pre-owned or pre-loved, right, goods. It's not just like, hey, it's somebody else's stuff. Right. It's like it's it, it has another life with you. And I think that's that sort of shift in language, Bill, you, you and I, you know, we hang around circles where we think language really matters. And I think language really matters in framing. Hey, actually, we don't need everything to be its first. It's pristine. It's the first unboxing. And so how do we make um, sort of ownership as the first thing? Give it another life. I think that's really important. And the point that I will say, and this is interesting, at least from an Australian coming to America. There's a lot of gifting here. Like there's a lot of just giving stuff, right? And I, when you give something to someone, I'm not always sure they need that. Exactly. Right? Just- and, so, and, and so I have a, a, a child. I fear the amount of plastic toys <laughs> that someone's going to feel the need to give him. Um, I worry about, you know, the, you know all, all that that can potentially come with good intent right? It comes with good intent. How do we say, hey, yeah, um, here's, you know, here's how we want to choose to uh, live our life, but we want to receive your, your gift in, in gracious gratitude. But how do we dance around that? I think that's a pretty hard one as a parent to navigate. Mm, that is that is a good point, Rob. Wow. Such, such good points about fast fashion and also gifting and what Bill said about needs and wants and, and Toby, that's a really good point with, you know, all these cheaper things. But I do think right now there's a return to not luxury branding, but things that are more long lasting. If you look at Tesla, it initially branded itself as a luxury car brand, right? And then now there's another car company, I believe called Lucid, 
uh, and you know, so many more. These are like luxury car brands, electric cars, and people are drawn to that because now everybody wants to be different from you know, like if everybody else owns a conventional car, I want to be the one to own a luxury car. I'm sorry, and that sort of can we approach fashion the same way, and you know, rebrand sustainability as like the higher brand, the more niche, <laughs> high end. I don't know. But yeah, that's, that's a tough problem. But I agree. We all need to be more mindful of our consumption. And just looking at time, I do want to move on to the next topic because I'm so happy to have Toby here. She is our Gen Z entrepreneur. I'm so glad the younger generation is doing so much. Hey, us millennials have not given up. And clearly Bill is here with us. So, you know, he's representing the boomers. <laughs> so, Toby, I want to ask you about your business. So I opened the discussion today with, you know, there's so much single use plastic around bubble tea cups. So I want to just learn a little bit about your story and what you're trying to achieve with your business. Yeah, so like I mentioned earlier, I started this business almost by accident. Um, the story was I was just, you know, a regular girl who drank bubble tea with her friends multiple times a week, every week, <laughs> without realizing how much plastic I was wasting. I had reusable products for almost everything else, but not for bubble tea. It wasn't a thing. So I set out on my mission trying to find a sustainable alternative to drinking bubble tea. I couldn't find one. So I made my own version. I went to Canadian Tire. I bought some mason jars, some lids, drilled holes in them, bought a straw, and then I sort of made my own cup. And it was just really to you know, it was just for myself, but I shared it to my friends on Instagram on on my story, and a lot of people wanted to buy them. Uh, so, and I that was sort of the moment when I realized this was a bigger issue at hand than I thought. So then there was a demand for it, and I had the solution for it. So it just started. It just went off like that. And here I am. <laughs> um, so we sold thousands of products. I think one of the questions Lily asked me was, how many plastic cups have I saved with my business? Uh -huh. And I did some calculations today, roughly, assuming someone drinks bubble tea with this cup two times a week, every week for the year, it would be around 350,000 plastic cups and straw saved. And I had no idea. So like calculating today, it was really encouraging. I did not realize the impact that I've made because this was this started off as like a passion project when I was a full-time student, um, just helping others. So very rewarding to see that this is the impact I'm making, especially at such a young age. And I'm just starting. So there's still more she's 22 to come. like that taylor swift song imagine what she's gonna be like when she's 32 she's gonna be like those no before she hits 30 she's gonna be like forbes 30 under 30 i bet you oh i don't know that, <laughs> I is, hope so that, that is awesome toby and, and you know that data you know you you should really promote that on whether it's on your website or how your marketing mm -hmm. materials don't be shy about that uh at all you, you just gotta make sure you, you can prove it or verify that or you yes. otherwise it's bullshit, bullshit marketing like <laughs> h&m right so uh but yeah that's really cool good on you love the entrepreneurship and uh doing good for the world as well that that's great yeah toby i'm so proud of you three <laughs> you, okay you said three hundred fifty thousand. yes and it could be more or less depending on the individual <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy and that's just in the city of toronto like um, mostly, I would say um, North America. Oh, uh, you we ship sell mostly, yeah, to Canada and 
the U.S. as well. Um, yeah. And also we've shipped worldwide for our cups. So it's in a lot of places. <laughs> Damn, that's that's huge. Like if you keep going and, and as you scale your business, I guess you're going to reach the millions very soon. Yeah, well, I have to figure out how to scale it. <laughs> Still very, you know, home-based based business, but I'm getting there, you know, working on it full-time now after graduating. <laughs> Man, I am I am so inspired listening to Toby's story. What about you, Rob? Do you feel like as a millennial, you got inspired by her? <laughs> oh, 100%. You know, you, you, you saw a little thing in the world and you did it and you, and you told some friends and then they said, we want it. I think that's awesome. Yeah. And what I love is just like, um, you guys bonded over bubble tea, right? It's something of joy that brings you guys together. And it's that moment that I think is, is fantastic. Actually, I have a question for you, Toby. Can I, mm-hmm. if I may, um, you know, why do we hang out and drink bubble tea together so frequently? Like that is a, that is a question. Why does bubble tea just bring people together? That's a good question. I think it's just like coffee shops. There's just so many different types of bubble tea shops with different um, ambiances. Like it's just so many different flavors. I think it's just something we naturally gravitate towards. Carbs, I don't really man. have an exact Carbs. answer. Fat yeah, and sugar. And, <laughs> and it's just so convenient to get, at least where I'm from, there's a bubble tea shop at every corner. And it's just um, an easy way to catch up with someone. Um, people celebrate with bubble tea. When they're studying, they get bubble tea. There's just so many different reasons why. <laughs> dating. Like a lot Ooh. of Yeah, like bubbles. a bubble tea date. <laughs> uh, follow-up question, follow-up question. You said that you, it's mainly still a home-based business before you hit that huge scale curve that Lily is predicting. Um, <laughs> does your mom and dad help? Um. Well not super actively. I mean, I completely took over my house. My (laughs) living room is just, there's a giant desk in the middle. There's shelves everywhere. I cleared out the basement. It's just, everything is in there. So they help by giving me space (laughs) and allowing people to come pick up their orders. So yes, they're very supportive. And, And do they know that they have a sustainability leader in their home? yeah i i lecture them all the time (laughs) god this woman's Uh, changing the world uh well it's interesting that you say that because i think a lot of times i feel like i'm not doing enough or i don't know enough and i think that's something that most people struggle with is always not or not celebrating the small wins enough and feeling like imposter syndrome and stuff like that so it's definitely encouraging Mm -hmm. that you know, you guys who are making such big impacts are saying that I'm making a lot of impact. <laughs> because you no, are. You are, you are the real deal, Toby. You know, oh, big you. things come from little things. Mm-hmm. I think there was this, uh, some sort of a computer company in Cupertino, California that was started in somebody's garage. What was the name of it? Peach, banana, pear, apple. That was it. Yeah, so. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Oh, Bill. And yes, Toby, I'm, I'm so glad I made you do the calculations because now you see the impact of your work, right? It's so easy for that to go unnoticed. And then, yes. but, but, but you, yeah, like, like I agree with Bill, you should put that statistic like on your homepage. Font yes, I will. I will. 
That is freaking amazing. Wow. I am just so inspired by this conversation and great oh, question, Rob. Like, <laughs> yeah, like maybe Asians need to get a new hobby that's not bubble tea, you know, like <laughs> go do 50 push-ups. <laughs> like that should be your way of bonding with one another. Um, so I, okay. So now let's talk about this lack of climate education within the Asian community. Like, I don't want to be racist, but I just, I just feel like on the whole, the average white person, a Caucasian person, even like Latinas and African-Americans, like, I feel like there's just so much more a climate woke. Why is it that as Asian Asians, I feel like it's just, or maybe it's, it's, I have a biased sample size, but I just feel like it's lacking. Hmm. I, I think it, you know, if you say it, it's education, Lily, then it's, you know, what's taught in schools, right? And if we assume that the schools are teaching the same to all the kids, regardless of color, uh, then all these kids would be uh, exposed to it. But I, I hear what you're saying. I, I think that traditionally or historically, the API community in Canada and US has been probably a bit lackadaisical uh, about this. You know, and I always, sorry, I always give the same statistic, you, you know, at least in the United, I don't know the st stats for Canada, but it's very interesting to find out. But here in, in the USA, the API community is six, 7% of the population, two thirds who like Rob and myself are foreign born. Now, you know, Rob and, my, and myself are pretty switched on, but you know, that other generation that was coming to the United States with, they were refugees, war, famine, running away from whatever. You know, it was just survival, you know, putting food on the table, raising yeah. the next generation of kids, the land of opportunity. And, you know, it was being very frugal and saving and investing for the future and probably, you know, running a small business or whatever, whatever that may be. I mean, so I think that was the priority for them wasn't about saving the planet or or politics for that matter, because, mm -hmm. you know, it's certainly historically in the U.S., the API community has, you know, really sh shied away from a career in politics. So I, I think because our our our. our community is still so relatively new here in the United States. I mean, when my family came in 1968 in, into the U.S., in 1970, uh, the AAPI was 0.7% of the U.S. population in 1970. And 50 years later, it's 6-7%. So, okay, it's risen dramatically, but it's still just 6-7%. Um, so I think it is, you know, so for the generation before, I think there were social economic reasons for it's like, yeah, that's not really the issue. But I think for the younger generation, I, I think I, I, absolutely, I think there's a, a, a higher degree of consciousness, but um, uh, I, I think that would, I think maybe it's a generational issue, Lily, uh, more than anything else. So. Right, absolutely. And um, I hope it's not too late. I'm just curious, what about, like, you have a daughter and a son, right? What about Yes, them? correct. Yeah, one's, one's, one's a senior in college and one's a, a, a sophomore, second year in, in college. So yeah, are, are they a lot more uh, attuned and enlightened than I was at that when I was that age? Yeah, absolutely. Just I think, I mean, also, they grew up in Portland, Oregon, which, mm -hmm. you know, in the United States, as Rob knows, on the West Coast is just, it, it's, it's just much more, it's very progressive, very liberal, just much more open to these ideas and understanding of what's happening in the environment. And I think that there is a, 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 a quite a difference between East Coast and West Coast or where you grow up as well. I mean, there are certain places that I think they're just much more aware of things of global warming and the environment versus other places, perhaps. Right. 
that, that's a good point. Like different priorities from different generations. The for the generation yeah. before were just struggling to survive, whereas now I guess the, as the sons and daughters and even grandkids of, of immigrants, we've now we are we are you know with upward social mobility. Yeah. As that takes place, we have more mental capacity to take on these larger issues, right? And Rob, like I, I definitely see a shift, you know, with myself and Rob and. Bill, you're already very climate woke, but look at look at Toby. She's already actively doing things to help mitigate this crisis. So she's buying mason jars and drilling holes. Yeah, like, I like, was like you have an electric drill, you actually drill the hole to make a cup for yourself. Yeah, I probably drilled almost maybe definitely over a thousand cups. I hand branded each cup too, so very very hands on, but. Wow. It's sort of what got me started. You know, I didn't have to invest thousands of dollars into it. I, I sort of started, you know, a really small budget, <laughs> but it, it worked. Do you, do you provide, <laughs> do you, are you providing the straws as well? Because certainly the plastic straw thing is, is you know, where you yeah. are, Rob, it's like you, you couldn't find a plastic straw in the Bay Area mm-hmm. anymore. It's like all is all gone to paper straws. So I think that, that, that's, that's, yeah. that's a big thing as well. So everything you need basically is provided so uh reusable cups straw straw cleaners um straw pouches to carry it mm-hmm. around so mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like a one-stop shop that is awesome and for listeners i guess who are not asian and who don't drink bubble tea like why do you why can't you bring your own cup it's because bubble tea usually has tapioca so it requires you mm-hmm. like literally you cannot bring your own cup it's very difficult right you have yeah. to have a straw so that's the kind of tricky thing. Whereas with Starbucks and like, I don't know, any other coffee shop, you can bring your own traveling mug, but bubble tea is like, how do you, how do you suck the tapioca? The tapioca. Yeah. Exactly. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Tapioca is like, (laughs) it's literally like the start of all the root of all evil. Uh, anyway. Really? <laughs> oh man, that's that's another podcast. That's that's a different podcast. Okay, I'm sure there's gonna be some Asian American podcasts that are gonna blast at me, but like, what did you say? <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay, we're not gonna go there today. But um, yeah, really great point. So so, so I have something to go on Bill's point, which is um, you know, the lack of climate education on the Asian community. I think it is a generational thing. I I think I heard this from you on Clubhouse Bill, which was a quote from Confucius. Um, and I'm paraphrasing because he didn't write in English. Uh, to put the world in order, we must first put the nation in order. To put the nation in order, we must put the family in order. In order to put the family in order, we must cultivate our personal lives. And to cultivate our personal lives, we must first set our hearts right. And uh, you can correct me uh, if... I would love to take credit for that, Rob, but I don't think those words pursed my lips. So um, anyway, <laughs> but you know, regardless of the source, you're absolutely right. I think that regardless of who said it, I think that's a really good point. Is what, what you know, or, or as Gandhi says, you know, be the change that you want to see in the world, right? So it's like, how do we start with myself? So I think Lily's point, what are we doing? And what, what are each of us individually trying to do? We can't move the mountain but we can move the little rock um, that's, that, that's here uh, individually. So yeah, I, I, I think it starts from there, uh, being conscious and then what, what is your action? I, I think that's your point, Rob. Yeah, 100%. And I think what's, what's that intergenerational struggle, like as an immigrant family, you know, mm-hmm. coming from a different country to another culture, right? And mom and dad made a decision, right? They made a decision through watching the TV screen uh, and they, you know, said, you know, this country, that country, or that country, and they made an active choice. And then they wanted to fit in in that country, right? And so that identity, 
you know, you kind of like shed the home country and you adopt the, the incoming welcoming country a little bit. And so as kids who now consume media, not on that TV, but in a very different manner, right, on our phone, on different apps, TikTok, IG, whatever it is, now we're like consuming media that's very different. And like, how do we have those conversations from one generation to another, where one generation was just focused on, you know, building economic prosperity for the family, and then the other generation, which has the privilege because of that social mobility, how do we actually like bridge that and make it relatable? So, so how do we have that conversation with our, with our parents? I don't know. I haven't figured it out. But I think that is a lot of the intergenerational conversation that we need to have because climate change is an intergenerational problem. Um, that just will be more people of the younger generation uh, that will need to live on this planet longer than, 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 than those before them. Um, and so I think like that climate education piece around the Asian community, having those discussions, especially because a lot of us are immigrants. And, and also the other point that like the, the word AAPI represents so many different people's lived experience. Like, uh, and, and Bill, you can correct me, it's like 47 different countries or something. It, it, it's so it's so fragmented and to actually like to pass that disaggregated data out is really complex and a lot of different cultures to consider absolutely wow such great point there rob and oh sorry did I, you I, yes. did you did you call me mate no That's i awesome. said such good point made uh. <laughs> i could call you mate i was sound like I, I feel like i would sound really british if i said that <laughs> Aussie, Aussie, Aussie. Yes, exactly. But, you know, I think that the prior, you can call me like one and a half generation, right? I think that's like the, the term for us that was born overseas, but came to a new country under the age of X. So I think one and a half generation. But, but so, you know, I, I don't think my, if I look at my parents that were born 1930, 31 in Shanghai, and went to Hong Kong in 49, and we came here in 68, you know, what were they, you know, they weren't against climate change. They weren't trying to be polluters. They just weren't aware of it. And it just wasn't, it's like, well, yeah, you know, we're human beings. We're here to survive. And, and that's, you know, and, but, um, uh, you know, oddly enough, my mother always washed the Ziploc bags and we always reused them. You know, your typical eight Chinese mom who was very frugal. And I do the same thing here. We wash our Ziploc bags, put them out to dry. So maybe that's a real Asian thing to do. Is it being environmental? No, it's just because we're cheap. <laughs> hey, wherever you know frugality overlaps with environmental sustainability, I'm all for it. There you go, absolutely. So, yeah, that is that is fantastic. So I first want to ask Toby, um, you know, as a rising entrepreneur representing the younger generation, what do you hope to accomplish with your entrepreneurial vision to ensure a sustainable future? Yeah, that's a, a loaded question. Yes, it is. <laughs> I think um, it's just to really educate and inspire others that we can make a positive impact and difference on our environment. And it's not as hard as they think. I think one of the visions that I have for the future um, is that living a sustainable lifestyle wouldn't just be, you know, optional anymore. Um, it won't be hassle or difficult. It'll sort of just be everyday life. Um, and that's something that goes beyond myself and the business, you know, larger corporations, they have a big part in this role, but that is the future. I hope uh, that will happen in my lifetime. <laughs> Absolutely. And you're making it happen one cup at a time. 
<laughs> you know, yes. I, I'd love to see all bubble tea shops use reusable cups like 10 years in the future, like no more plastic, period. <laughs> is that is that doable or that's too difficult? But what about Taiwan? Because they're like a primary consumer of bubble tea still, right? Well, the well, bubble tea originated from Taiwan. So they are the ones that are shipping everything out for the most part. Um, I think it's doable, but in the way where it's like taking things to go, it's not as convenient, um, bringing a reusable cup everywhere, and it's a lot more expens expensive for the company. And everything, even as a small business, we try to incorporate sustainable options, and that is always more expensive than going the cheaper route. So it's really what they can afford. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure the larger companies can. It's yes, chat time. They, pressure them. they will. I I need to send this video to chat time and be like, watch this video. They they do have their own lines of cups. So mm. they're doing they're doing big things too. But there, there's more and more zero waste coffee shops nowadays where you have to bring your own mug. Like the, there's no plastic mm. cup. They're not gonna offer any cups in store, right? They just offer the coffee. That way you Maybe. force it. <laughs> but yeah, I, I don't I don't foresee it to be very profitable because all your competitors, you know, offer plastic yeah. cups. Yeah. Policy, policy. <laughs> yeah yeah and by the way toby if you need to hop off feel free to hop off whenever because um okay well yeah yeah if you need to hop off that's totally fine do you need to hop off now yeah i have another meeting i need to go to. okay well it's super nice having you here with us toby it's <laughs> nice meeting you guys too um, hey, all we the should best stay with your connected. business toby um, thank Congra you congrats on your business thank you yeah congrats all right bye, bye. bye. Okay. <laughs> now this this podcast episode is starting to sound more like a Zoom meeting, but that's okay. It's just a record. Well, well, what is a podcast episode anyway? You know, it's a philosophical question. But with the two of you here, I, ooh, I want to get into the exciting part of the question. So you're both fathers. You know, Rob is a new father. Uh, of course, Bill is a seasoned father, also an international sales leader. <laughs> so yeah, I just have to, I just have to, you know, trot that title out every single time. <laughs> So, you know, for Rob and Bill, you know, as fathers, what kind of future do you want to leave behind for your children? And what are you doing currently to ensure that they inherit a healthy and habitable planet? So why don't we start with Bill, the seasoned father? <laughs> of yeah, no, I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll admit that, that we, we haven't done enough and we can do more. And, and this hasn't really been a point of discussion around the family table it's like gee what should we do be doing more what should we be doing better other than recycling which everybody mostly does and, and just being smart about what we buy and do we buy an electric car versus a petrol car um yeah and this is this is very very concerning you know and, and i think that it is coming up much faster this environmental disaster and the impact on human life of like I said, mentioned earlier in the podcast, in the podcast of melting glaciers, melting uh, polar ice caps, uh, you know what's happening. You know, if we look in the Pacific Northwest, uh, what got decimated with with uh, billions of mussels and clams and crustaceans gone, and it just doesn't impact that shelf life, but the entire ecosystem that feeds upon the seagulls and the seals, and and, and so just the the, the trickle down effect. Of, of what's happening. No, I, I think that uh, the evidence is really clear. Uh, and, and what kind of a world do I want to leave behind for my child and my grandchildren? Yeah, a hell of a lot better than what I found it. 
Um, and so, you know, do we need to do a much better job individually? Yes, but then we also need to press our political quote unquote leaders. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's good that the US government went back into the Paris Accords when the prior administration came out of it. I, you know, and so it, it, so it works from our local uh, state representative all the way to our congressman to make sure that they're doing the right thing uh, for, for the environment uh, here in the United States and on uh, international treaties. Right. And I, I agree we need all need to take individual action. But my question is like, well, you're a global business sales leader, so you have a lot of influence in the business world as well. So I, I guess as a corporate leader, um, how do you plan to sort of exercise your influence there? Yeah, certainly. It's it's smart business. It's sustainable business in the apparel industry to move to a much, much quicker uh, development of the manufacturing process. The issue, I think Rob was talking about this before, uh, you, you know, the, the, the various, uh, or it's, it's like an alphabet soup of different organizations that, that track CO2, water, uh, the dyeing industry, you know, all these type of things. At last, time I saw a report, there was about 40 different uh, organizations. There are no standards. You know, if, if, if the Gap tomorrow produced t-shirts and labeled them that, oh, this shirt only required uh, two pints of water to produce. Okay, that, that's great. Is that a little or is that a lot? What's the average? What's exactly. the standard? You know, so, so you know, or you can say, oh, this shirt, you know, uh, uh, only, uh, you know, this only required so much CO two emissions. It was four. That's great. It's four. Is that high or low? Uh, so, so this is where there are no global standards of what is average, what is high, or what is low. Uh, but I think that those companies that are working in that direction and actually can prove versus just making claims that they're doing good for the environment. Uh, I, I think that uh, those are the brands that are going to win uh, because I think the younger consumers are being smart about how they purchase, and I think then then it's it's all about uh, it's all about money, you know. I, I mean, because the company is not going to move and do something different if it can't make money. You know, when organic cotton T-shirts and things like that started coming out twenty odd years ago, I was like, well, bloody hell, they didn't sell very well because it was expensive. And so it's, oh, gee, it's nice to buy organic cotton T-shirt. Yeah, but people weren't willing to pay 20, 30, 40% more for the same product versus a non-organic. But I think the tides are changing and companies just need to get smarter on how they manufacture so they can keep the costs down and still be very environmental about that. And I think as the younger consumers around the world are certainly much more conscious of that, I think that's where the money's going to go. And I think that's where the product and, and the development is going to go. And those companies that are at the forefront of that are going to win, quite frankly. So Right, right. Yeah. I, I agree. I feel like there's definitely a trend shifting toward that. And like you said, consumers are becoming smarter, so it's going to be harder to trick them. And what about you, Rob? As a new father, how, what do you plan to do? Yeah. And so I learned something here uh, in America that I think it, it's very heartwarming. The, the um, girls and boys, um, I think scouts of America, they have a mantra, always leave the campground cleaner than you found it. And I think that's just quite, kind of beautiful. I think that is in capturing what sustainability means. It's, you know, how do we tread a little bit lightly? How do we be a little bit more thoughtful and actually leave it in a better state? And that's one of the things that we try to do as a household uh, for, you know, the little one that's uh, a Gen Alpha next door. Gen um, Alpha! <laughs> uh, and yeah, like, I, so I watched this film called Wally. 
right? It's it's made by Pixar. Mm. And it's such a beautiful film, but it is a climate yep. movie, right? It is a pollution movie. It's a climate movie. And it explores, at least in my mind, like the, the relationship we have with technology, with our desire to consume. And I, I, do, I, I do find a lot of hope in that movie because I think we can come together and we can find it. Maybe we don't need robots to fall in love to do that, but we can potentially uh, realize how we can choose to live and just be kinder to the planet. It was actually through, and I heard this story today, um, that there are New Zealand companies that are very fearful of having their packaging wash up on the shores and having consumers take a photo of that packaging and for their, their brand to get canceled, right? And I think that story is, is so interesting because it just shows there's a shifting consciousness. And then the way people are sharing stories is very different to the ways that stories were crafted um, through the advertising uh, PR machine um, of a different generation. And uh, it was, Bill, you, you told me this, Allbirds, like I, I didn't really realize the sort of rich history of Allbirds. You know, they're, they're a very progressive company, uh, a New Zealander, an American coming together to, to figure out this thing, you know, how do we walk around the world and, and being just a little bit more thoughtful about it. And I think there are more and more brands like that that are being sort of thoughtful and consumers are choosing to go with them because they might be stylish, because they might be cheaper, because they might be even more expensive. Um, I don't really know, but that values-driven purchasing, I think uh, will resonate uh, stronger. And for me, I think like, uh, what kind of future do I want to leave behind for my child? Uh, It's one that can be a little bit more thoughtful and hopefully one that is um, more transparent uh, and more intentional so we can, um, you know, not not need to leave earth on by and large's spaceship uh, to, to wait uh, until uh, uh, the, the earth regenerates thousands and thousands of years from now. Absolutely. And Rob, another, you put it so beautifully and I agree, Wally is, is one of the, was, I think it was produced back in 2008, but it already gave a premonition of the world. So because you're a kid, like you said, Gen Alpha, that, see, I, I, I don't even know that's what the new generation is called. How do you plan to raise your kid to make sure that he grows up to be environmentally conscious? And maybe it doesn't require much effort on you, but like, at what point are you going to start talking to him about climate change? Um, oof, that's a hard one. Uh, yeah, I've been exploring this sort of parent and eco-anxiety, solastalgia, uh, climate despair problem quite a lot actually it was on another podcast pivot with um kara swisher and scott galloway that i heard a listener question where someone was saying hey why do i need to save for my future and like put it in a pension fund when there's nothing to save for exactly that that really hurts right because i was taught from a different generation you know real estate four percent growth you know all that sort of stuff and think about your future um and to hear that a generation now, not even Gen Alpha, but Gen Y is, is hearing some of that. Um, so Gen Y, Gen Z is hearing some of that. I, I, I do worry about that. So I will model the behaviors that I want to see in the world just so it becomes normalized within, um, within uh, the context of him going through the world. Um, and then I think that, you know, I can't, can't protect, uh, protect him from all the media that he's about to consume. Um, 
but you know, just trying to be uh, honest about what I know, um, help him navigate his choices and just explain why we have made some of our choices as well. Um, and I think it, there is a role for the, you know, the, um, the 4,000 page IPCC reports of the world. And there is a role for the um, uh, headlines with the fire in the background. Um, but I do want to create a space um, at home where there is hope that if we do things right, that there is hope that uh, a future can be uh, lived on in this planet. You know, you touched upon what uh, is acronymed as Y-O-L-O, -O, YOLO, right? You only live once, right? So like the hell with tomorrow, enjoy today. Why bust your butt? Why work so hard? The world's going to end tomorrow. You know, hopefully, I, I don't know how real that is amongst the younger generation. I would hope not because it's a very selfish mentality. It's a very, obviously, it's not, not even short term. It's immediate today, right now. You know, I grew up in what was, you know, in the 80s. It was called the MTV generation. Oh, my God. <laughs> they can't. They can't. They, they can't keep attention for more than three minutes because that's how long a video was, it is. I mean, holy hell. I mean, my kids listen to music. They don't listen to a full song. It's like they go they scroll. one minute, I scroll. stop, going to another, whatever. And I was like, can you listen to the whole song? And it's like, well, no, I'm on to the next one. I'm like, so it's not even like the MTV. It's like, you know, 25% MTV generation. Anyway, that, that, that's another issue. But I, I think it's just, I, I would hope that this selfishness or this immediate pleasure uh, is, is something that is not real because that type of a mentality does, because in order to save, to do what is needed for tomorrow, Rob, you need to think ahead. And if you're just thinking about today and hell with tomorrow, then who the hell cares? Yeah. You know, so, so let's go ahead, burn our trash. Let's do this. And I mean, who cares if the world's going to end? So hopefully that mentality, it's going to change. You know, the, the issue is though, Lily, you know, is that, that, you know, if we take the two largest populations between India and China, that's about 3 billion people of the world, 7.8. Yes, China is sort of on average achieved somewhat of a middle class, about $10,000 GDP, but India is still catching up and far behind. And then we add in the other, you know, nations that are still developing and in Africa. I, I mean, this, that's the issue, uh, quite frankly, because it's nice to say, hey, yes. don't burn coal. Okay, how do I keep warm? How do I cook my food? You yeah. know, so I think there's a, oh. and, I, I've, and I've, been, I've been fortunate to travel many, many places around the world and, and seen some of the most destitute places around the world. And it's like, well, well I, I remember being in Shanghai in 1979 and in the 80s as well. And in my grandfather's home in the middle of Shanghai, there's no heat. And how do they heat? You know, Lily and your parents or grandparents may remember this is with the charcoal briquettes, you know, and, and the fumes are all over the place, but that's what you did to keep warm. And that's what, you know, they had gas to cook with, but that's, yeah, but they had no uh, heat. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's like, hey, don't burn that. That's really bad for the environment. Oh, okay. I'm going to freeze to death tonight. So it's nice for us to say. True. So th th this is where it, it's, it's a big, it's a big, big thing. It, it starts with the Paris Accords. It, it, it talks about government, you know, having the governments really be involved in big, big things here. But, uh, you know, we as individuals have our part, but the governments really need to uh, step up and do what's necessary as well and take this very, very seriously. Because, you know, we're all on this ship together. You know, it's not like, oh, 
It's yes. their problem over there. Exactly. This is exactly. Brazil's problem. It's China's problem. It's India's problem. It's Nigeria's problem. And we sitting here in the developed world aren't going to be impacted by this. No, we're, we're, on, the, we're all on the same spaceship, Mother Earth, that's uh, circling the sun. So, Yeah. And, and Bill, you touched on something so powerful there. And I just want to hold on to that for a second, which is we have the luxury of choices. And in some yeah. places around the world, you just need to keep warm and you go to where you go to get there. And, and, and I think that intergenerational problem exists right now. It's not intergenerational, it's just an existence problem. And so that I think that equity issue needs to really be woven into the climate justice movement and, and the climate action movement um, where we have the luxury. I think we need to uh, sort yes. of awaken it, but uh, we also need to welcome folks in wherever they are on their journey, on, on, on their climate journey. But, you know, I think there is a role to, to, to awaken um, society and, and sort of where we have those choices, guide them to a better um, conscious decision. I was, I was reading today, there's a, there's a coffee shop in, in Kent, in, in, in Europe, uh, in, in the UK. There's a coffee shop in the UK um, and they're making a stand. They're not servicing any of the customers that don't bring their reusable cup. Um, and in the, in the month, they collected all these discarded coffee cups and put it on the floor. And then they asked the customer to, you know, have a month to, to do this walk of shame if they wanted to drink coffee. And I think like those business choices, those individual choices, sometimes we need that rude awakening too. If we have those choices, then we do live in a, a place of luxury in some places yes. right now. Yeah. Yes. Rob, this is, this is why I... I think the developed world, like us living in North America and all the folks in Europe, we should take the lead on going plant-based and vegan, you know, and buying electric cars because you're right, like in the global South, they might not have the luxury of doing that. But if we have the capital, we should definitely take the lead to make ourselves a little bit less convenient because we've enjoyed convenience culture for too long. And at this point, I have a question for you both though. So do you think it is the responsibility of developed nations to now step in and help developing nations? For example, look at all these uh, rising cities in Asia, Africa, Latin America, do you think it is the role of developed nations to now show them how to build their infrastructure correct the first time around so that they don't have to follow our trajectory of you know, capitalism and going through building coal plants and all of that? Only if we're going to pay for it, Lily. And I'm not sure any U.S. government or international agency is. I'm, well, I'm not well versed upon that, but let's just take a, a country. Let's just, I'm not picking on any country, but let's just say Bangladesh. Okay, it's got a hundred odd million people there, obviously impoverished. Do they have nuclear power plants? Do you want to go there? You know, how much is fossil fuel burning? How much is coal fuel? You know, it, it, just for their energy needs for a massive population. So it's it, 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 that's what it, the thing is for us sitting here and say, oh, hey, you shouldn't be chopping down your trees to cook food or to keep warm. Okay, what's the alternative? Okay, well, do we have electric power plants that are coal burning? Do we have nuclear power plants? Do we want to have nuclear power plants from a safety environment standpoint? So, I mean, so what are the alternatives? Who's going to pay for it? Right. So that's you what know, I'm saying. Maybe, are, maybe yeah. these developed nations should start so, financing these products. Because like you said, we only have one planet. Well, it's no longer us versus their problem, right? Yeah. So unless international organizations and the developed world is going to pay for that, it's, it's, it's useless to sit there and, and to berate them or lecture them. Oh, you shouldn't be polluting the planet. Well, you know, look back your own country 100, 200 years ago, you were doing the same thing. I mean, the industrial revolution that started in England, 
all the trees everywhere. It was an environmental disaster. But no, this is 150 years ago. Nobody gave a shit. Nobody knew about it. So, yeah, it's just about a development cycle. Uh, is it incumbent upon developed countries, developed nations, and organizations to help finance some of these things or all of these things uh, to uh, jump jump over a few stages to where we are today? I, I believe so. And if that doesn't happen, then it, it, then our, our disaster is just going to continue yes. to be compounded yes. at a much bigger scale because you got 3 billion people in Africa and then you got the other 3 billion between India and China. And now we're now we've stepped into the territory of international relations and foreign policy, and that's a whole different podcast because there are many African nations that are very resistant to foreign intervention, right? Because of like colonial trauma and all that, they're like, "Oh, we don't want you to intervene." But now we're like, "We gotta intervene because we have to make sure you don't build these coal power plants because of energy poverty." So this is this is a very complicated political issue now. But uh, you're right. I, I agree. I think they should intervene at this point at all costs um, and put politics and pride aside. But that's Ooh, that's hard. How do you convince government leaders like we're not here to colonize you? We're here to show you how to build clean infrastructure. Yeah. I, I, Part of I, I, the I misspoke. Africa's got 1.3 billion people, not 3 billion people. But anyway, that's so you know, between Africa, all of Africa, 1.3 billion, India 1.4, China 1.4, you know, that, that's that that's a devastating number of people. Yeah, yeah. and population control. That, that's another thing. I'm like, I no, okay, I'm not going to bring it up in this episode. That's going to take another two hours. But um, Rob, Rob, did you have anything to add to that? Because we're going to wrap it up soon, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, B plus student right there. No, um, <laughs> I, I think it's a, it's a hard one to answer. I don't know enough about um, international relations. But what, and to the point around sort of colonialization in its, in its other mask, I think that is a, that is a, you know, it's a very valid sort of wariness. I think what I, what, I, what I struggle with is, is it possible that there are other solutions to the problem? Can we share the technology and share the financing when, when other nations need it? Um, and then the, the third point is, uh, how do we relinquish power, right? Because potentially the people in Brussels are able to hold seats of power for reasons because of centuries of um, sort of uh, ability to, uh, to amass economic trade. And so I do wonder like how, how we can also relinquish power and welcome um, the people in those countries that, uh, in those countries and continents that Bill was talking about into that, um, into that table where we need to make those decisions for a planet, right? And, and do so equitably. And so I think it's like sharing finance, sharing, um, technology uh, and not just imposing one way, one system that potentially we've learned over the past 400 years may not present us with the solutions to the problems. Maybe there is a rethinking that's possible. Uh, and I think that's where some of the um, sort of the finer aspects of uh, uh, how we need to uh, influence the world rather than just project our power into a space. Um, I think that's where uh, we, we need new leadership. Absolutely. I like how we started with it. All Asian panel ended up on like a seminar on international development. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Took it too far. But uh, Bill, Rob, I loved both of your answers. I think absolutely. Yes. We need knowledge transfer, knowledge sharing. And I'm not sure how that's going to work, like from a patent perspective. Bill, did you did you want to say something? Yeah, I, listen, I, um, I, I think you've got governments around the world that are Number one, some of them are just failed states uh, and, and they're struggling to feed their own people. 
uh, and you sit there and say, gee, save the environment. Are you kidding me? Look, look at the mess that I, we're, we're trying to fix right now. Uh, I'm not naming any particular countries, but it, you know, when you got you know, mortality rates that are so high, longevity, uh, lifespans that are so short, you know, and you got so many other issues going on, like saving the planet is like priority number 99 in some of these places just because they've got so many other issues right. uh, going on right now. Right. So it's like, how do we intervene? How does the, the, the developed world intervene and say, hey, it's in your interest and my interest that we're doing the right thing. And, and that's where the path has to be. Uh, and and, 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 and for, it comes down to money. It comes down to finances and it's either gonna be put up or shut up. If you're not gonna help me you know, uh, produce a, 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 develop a nuclear power plant here so I can be green or, or whatever the, the energy source is instead of uh, burning fossil fuels and, and coal. Uh, if you're not going to help me do that, then that's nice. Yeah, I know doing the other thing is going to be better for the environment. We don't have the money to do so. So either either do it for us or, you know, thank you very much. Right. So I'm sorry to be so cynical about this, but I yeah. think it, do, it does require a global a global effort, United Nations, whatever it takes to to do so and, and and i do think the vaccine diplomacy uh sort of drama that's evolving right mm -hmm. now is a sort of microcosm of all of that and i really yeah. do hope that we build back yeah. better not this necessarily the yeah. COVID 19 is a drill yeah. for climate change right it almost yeah. is if you ask going back to the very beginning of this really podcast is. you know why why don't some people don't believe in the vaccine was because that politician on the other side of the uh, of the aisle said it said it's the right thing to do you know, and I don't believe that then that in that political party and that person said it, I'm on this political party. So I'm just whatever they say. If they say it's green, if they say it's black, I say it's white. If they say it's red, I say it's blue. You know, it's just that that that, that back and forth uh, tit for tat. Yeah, that's unfortunate. And so many people are dying in the meanwhile. We're not going to get into a vaccine debate, but guys, I'm probably going to close it up since we're almost at an hour and a half. I just want to thank both of you. And Toby has already left the conversation. Toby has left the chat. <laughs> So we only got, you know, two millennials and a baby boomer left, but, you know, the key takeaway from today's conversation is clearly Asians do care about climate change. I mean, all four of us do, or maybe I just had a cherry picked my panel, but I don't think so. You know, I went out of my way. I was like, Rob, please make sure you grab someone from uh, Asians are visible from the community and make sure like they're not a climate activist, but, and, and it seems like Bill is the most knowledgeable one out of all of us. So uh, Bill, you've represented your generational cohort very well today. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you. You know, I'm just disappointed with Rob. I wanted to see the big koala bear from his uh, PTR photo. Yes, but, uh, where is it, Rob? Next Show time, us. So. Uh, that's a back in Sydney, Australia. <laughs> oh, yeah. Wait, if you if you guys hold, I have a small one. All right. Uh, well, how long is it going to take? Okay, he's 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 already he's he's running for it. Okay, <laughs> Rob has left the chat as well. <laughs> but yeah, Bill, it was. It's such a pleasure what other podcasts what other podcast topics do you have you done in the past Lily? uh well you check my i've done everything from like climate technology policy uh right. food ways everything oh that's so cute oh that's so he cute. stole it from his baby son's crib that's what he just did so. oh don't oh wow how cruel it, i think so this cute. one came from i think this one came from my crib years and years and years ago Wow. Oh, excellent. 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 Well, you, you cover a, a wide range of uh, topics. That's great, Lily. And yes. uh, it's been a pleasure and an honor to be here. I really appreciate Rob thinking of me and Lily, you having 
me on board as well. This has been fun. Of course, every time I talk to my, uh, every time I talk to Bill, it sounds like I'm talking to like a dad I never had. Because he and I, we actually have the same Chinese last name. I just found that out. Like it's, okay. I know it's, yeah. it's spelled differently in English, but it's actually the same Chinese character. And that's extremely yeah, rare. Correct. So we're, we're, we're blood related. So Bill is my, Indeed. Indeed. my godfather. <laughs> He's the Indeed. godfather. No problem. Man, thank you so much, Bill and Rob and Toby, who has already left for being a part of today's All Asian panel on climate change. Um, and listeners, I hope you've learned something new today. Also to clear up the stereotype that Asians and Asian Americans don't care about climate change. Yes, we do. and But we definitely need to speed up on that front, which is also what I'm hoping to spread with the messaging with this podcast. So please, Bill and Rob and Toby, when this podcast comes out, please spread it with your network widely, especially with your Asian and Asian American friends. And yeah, let, let's let's keep up the great work and spread the message. And um, um, keep eating less meat <laughs> and driving an electric car or just walk and bike <laughs> in my case. Yeah. Well, thank you so much listeners for tuning in to make peace, not beef. And uh, I'll see you in the next episode. All right. That's a wrap. I hope you liked today's episode and found it helpful. Remember you can watch the video version of this episode on my YouTube channel, make peace, not beef. Please don't forget to subscribe and rate for more exciting content down the road. Your support is my creative juice. If you have any questions or comments, please head over to my social media on Twitter, Instagram at MakePeaceNotBeef, or shoot me an email at lily at MakePeaceNotBeef.com. That's L-I-L-L-Y. Feel free to check out my website, MakePeaceNotBeef.com, for more information. Alrighty, peacemakers, I'll see you in the next episode.